Welcome back, everyone. This is the Soulback R&B Podcast, episode 90-something. I lost track, but it's Tom here hosting for only the second time ever. Ed's here with me. What's up, Ed? I'm chilling, player. I know our listeners are like, what is going down? Tom is starting <laughs> off the podcast. Kyle is MIA. I'm grouchy as usual, so some things never change. Well, Ed, where is Kyle? Well, last I heard, last week you were gone. I heard from the grapevine that you were helping Teddy Riley with DJ Soulchild to set up his IG stream. Oh. Didn't go so well for you two. But I hear Jeez. that Kyle is somewhere stalking his girl Ashanti, trying to get her to set up a stream. But knowing Kyle, he's just peeking in her windows. <laughs> Good old Kyle. I'm sure he'll be back next week, though, after he comes up unsuccessful on that uh, mission. <laughs> <laughs> you know it. But anyway, we got a lot to talk about this episode. A lot went on, believe it or not, in music, even though the quarantine and the social distancing is going on. It seems like some artists have you know, have been getting to work and at least putting out content and, and giving us stuff to talk about. But before we get into any of the new music, first, can we say rest in peace to Lisa Left Eye Lopez? It's 18 years today since she's passed. It's incredible. Like as of this recording, it's been 18 years. I remember where I was when I heard the news. I was I was living in Louisville, Kentucky. I hadn't been there too long, and I was shopping. I was like in the mall because I was going home to Virginia in a couple of weeks in May just to visit fam. So I was trying to get my outfit right. You know, this is you gotta you gotta go straight. You can't go back home wearing old clothes. You gotta come correct. Mm-hmm. People think you fell off. So I was in the mall <laughs> and they had the radio over the speakers and someone interrupted and came in and said left eye passed away. I could not believe it. It just seemed so out of nowhere. There's an artist that had so much life just starting out on kind of a solo career, kind of doing some some of her own things. I really feel like she was so ahead of her time in so many ways. If she was around today. She would be the living embodiment of a Twitter meme. She would be everywhere. Mm. So incredible talent gone way too soon. And I'll just add, you know, I had gone to a record store that day after I heard the news. I just decided, let me, I just want to buy a TLC album. I just want to, you know, make me feel better about what happened. And I remember seeing a magazine on the shelf of her in all black alongside Suge Knight and all of Death Row. Do you remember that she had joined death row shortly before her passing and was about to start that whole endeavor i definitely do and i think i remember the magazine i I can picture that that photo that you're describing yeah that's crazy i mean who knows even where her career would have gone from then but so much promise and you know gone way too soon it's a shame it's it's sad to look mm -hmm. back and realize these legendary artists that have come and gone and just thinking about what they could have contributed to the culture at the time, there was definitely time for that. Oh, left eye will never be forgotten, though. All right, Ed, you ready to talk about some new music? What you got? Kim is back. Kim is back. Kim? Oh, who? Of course, I can never forget Kim. <laughs> <laughs> so Kim has a new single called "Lie to Me." He actually has not put out anything in about six years. So yes, it's been some time. The new single was co-written by himself alongside Anthony Hamilton, James Poyser, and Salam Remy. So, all-star cast right there. The single's dope. It's a groove. And, man, people forget how successful Kem has been in R&B over the past decade plus with his albums going gold. 
Cam is a phenomenon, man, and I'm glad to see him back. Cam is one of those artists that quietly just every time he has such a loyal fan base. Every time he comes out, he's gonna go go. He's gonna deliver. The songs are gonna fly up the charts. And I know a lot of you get a lot of criticism to say, "Oh, Kim's back. Every song sounds the same." Oh, here he goes. But I'm a fan. I like what he does. I like what he brings. And most importantly, he has a bass that backs him up. I haven't heard this new track, but man, with that writer, that roster of writers behind him, this got to be a banger. The craziest thing to me about Kim is that, you know, to me, he's not a household name, but somehow, in some way, he's able to go on these theater tours across the nation, you know, like 2,000 seats, and, and sell them out. You know, people know Cam. It's not like he's a nobody, man. He's one of the, like I said, great performer, sells out shows, sells records. He has his audience. He knows how to cater to them. Cam has mastered what we have kind of talked about on this podcast for, I mean, going on years now. He is an artist that has, he's not trying to be mainstream. He's not trying to do anything that's beyond the Kim sound. But he has tapped into his fan base so deeply and passionately. Whatever he does, whether it's a new album or a new single or he's touring, he always succeeds. And it's never a big mainstream hit. But man, when the, when his crew knows that he's got something new out, they're supporting. That's the kind of love that I wish that we could see across the board for R&B. And I'm not sure what the secret recipe is for Kim, why he just like really knows how to do it. Because I know some hardcore Kim fans, but he is just yeah. some way always connected with them. And he reaps the success. Now, I will say one thing. If Kyle was here right now, he would have no idea what's going on. I mean, Kyle, oh, please. <laughs> Kyle is too young for this type of music, in my opinion. I mean, <laughs> Kem knows that. Kem caters to that, I don't know, 40-plus, 35-plus crowd, the older folks. Yeah, but he does it so well, and he doesn't back down. I have not seen a song with Kim featuring Blueface or Moneybag Yo. Like, he does not need right. to do that. He does his thing. Now, I know that he's kind of aged out of Kyle's kind of circle, but Kyle will be all right. Tell him to wipe <laughs> the drool up. Stop looking at those Ashanti pics. Oh, boy. We'll move on. Um, Soul For Real is back, Ed. You were a big fan of them in the 90s. Yes, I am. Big fan. Shout out my boy, Jace. Yeah, so Soul For Real has a new single called Love On Me. I'm not sure if you've checked that one out yet. It's gotten some good feedback so far, but this one kind of came out of nowhere because I don't think they've yeah. a new single in like four years or so. It's It's been that long. We actually mentioned it a bit on last week's podcast, and I think Kyle really brought up, he was like, what did you think? Because it sounded... A little trendy, but it wasn't like super trendy. And to me, I like the balance. I like that it sounded progressive, but it didn't sound 1994. Because I don't really want 1994. I want 2020, but I want it to sound like a Soul For Real song. And I think they've done a great job of balancing that. We'll see how well it takes off. But for me, I think it's a good indicator that their head is in the right space for whatever they have planned for the rest of the year. And shout out to Jace, like you said. We interviewed him on Instagram Live, and he talked about the new single and some of their history. So that was a cool interview. Everyone could check it out. It's on the site now. I want to talk about another single that came out um, from CeeLo Greenhead. Have you heard that one, Lead Me? Yes, I have. And I must say, I am a huge CeeLo fan. I feel like when it comes to both the worlds of soul and hip-hop, 
he is one of the most underrated contributors on both ends. The album he dropped, I guess his last solo album, that Lady Killer joint, when I ranked the albums of the 2010s, that was like, I think in the top 20. Vastly wow. underrated joint. He is a phenomenal, phenomenal vocalist. He's got the soul. He's got the funk mixed all together. I think he's tremendous. And his new song's pretty good. We uh, had a chance to interview him as well, and he revealed to us that he sang backgrounds. Well, actually, he sang the demo to TLC's Waterfalls. Did you know that? I don't think I knew that. That's crazy, because that, 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 man, is. that was very early on. Yeah, he talked about how he was down with that whole Atlanta crew, and it was like a very tight-knit musical community back then, so he just had the opportunity to do it. I mean, the crazy thing to me about CeeLo, though, is I never feel like people take him seriously as a vocalist. But me looking back at his career, like he was singing, you know, on the first Outkast album. I don't know if people remember that. And he's actually a really soulful dude. He just has a very unique tone. So I feel like people may not take it as serious as some other vocalists. But, I mean, how do you rank him, Ed? I think that that's the good thing. And for those of you who check out the unsungs that TV1 pops out, I think the last one they dropped was on Goody Mob, and he kind of touched on this as well. I think that CeeLo's just underrated because he's, first of all, it's hard for R&B fans to kind of like latch on to him because he spent so much time cutting his teeth in hip-hop. But if you, you're right. If you look at the very first record that came out, which was them featured on an Outkast song, he was singing on that. He's never right. strayed away from his gospel-slash-soul roots. That's been there. But it's just something that when he started to have actual solo success, it was more for the songs that are, you know, kind of, I don't say gimmicky, because F.U. is actually a fun song, but it's also, it's smart. Like, it's, it's goofy, but it's smart, and I can always appreciate that. He had that, he right. had Closet Freak, he had a lot of songs that were very kind of high, high tempo, crazy was another one. So it's easy to kind of dismiss him as oh he just makes the fun songs but there's a lot of substance behind those songs that's why i love that album so much if you have not heard his lady killer album from 2010 i think you better go do that that's your homework for today that was a great album he has a lot a lot of talent and i'm looking forward to see what he brings this year all right next up can we give a shout out to maya oh yes your girl I love her movement, man. I don't care what anyone says. She keeps bringing, first of all, she keeps bringing new music, which for a 90s R&B singer, you know, most of them have not really put out music very frequently these days. Maya comes with something like every single year, and it's of good quality. You know, it's it's 90s influence, but it's progressive, and, and that was the same thing I, I got from her. She put out the new single, You Got Me, Part 2. I just love what she's doing, man. I wish she, more artists would take control of their career, have their own label, have their own vision and just push you know music that their fan base wants to hear ed we need that well i will say i'm a big fan of that song i thought it was great i liked it better than part one i thought that was i really loved that but i still am grouchy player tom i'm still pissed about the fake wedding oh come on that's that was great publicity man Actually, I don't well, even know if that worked. Too- I wonder if it even worked publicity-wise. I don't know. No, I didn't I it didn't work. It, <laughs> it didn't work. That's my point. You had a whole fake wedding. It didn't do anything. It can't, It was unnecessary. That was my point. I was not a fan of the fake wedding. Keep that. If you stick with the music, we good. I thought this was a great track. 
But you know, keep don't be throwing rice or whatever y'all do, blow bubbles or whatever. That's whack. The wedding was I was not a fan of the wedding stuff. No, I completely disagree, and here's why, Ed. This is twenty twenty. We're in the twenty four hour news cycle. You can take a chance doing something silly like that. And if it blows up in your face, people will forget about it a week later, and no one will ever know what happened. Well, unfortunately, you're right there, because nothing came of that, and it kind of came and went, and no one has remembered that. When I do my Player Please Awards (laughs) for 2020, I'm sure there's more stuff that happened in April that will be up there than Maya's fake wedding. (laughs) Well, on a more positive note, today also happens to be the 20th anniversary of her second album, Fear of Flying. Uh, Do you remember that one? Listen, I was just talking to our boy Montrez Jones about that. Shout out to Montrez. I love that album, and honestly, it may be my favorite Maya album. Yeah, I think it's probably... Hmm, I didn't think about it like that, but if you look at it, I'd probably take it over her debut. Just like it, She showed some growth and progression. And um, Yeah, I can agree with you on that one. So Yeah, it's got it's great singles, and there are definitely some... To me, a making of a great album has great distinct singles. When you think of Fear of Flying, number one, you can visualize the album cover because you've seen it so much. Yep. It's got the big singles, the um, the Best of Me and the Case of the X. So you had your good R&B joint. You had one that the pop fans were feeling. But then you also had the album cuts that were so banging. I love yep. the title track. I'll tell you what, though, at 20 years between celebrating that, celebrating Carl Thomas's debut recently for 20 years, we're getting old, man. What's going on? Well, listen, you were the one who just came on the podcast um, wheezing and coughing because you've been chasing your son around the living room. And I'm sitting here now with my knee sounding like Apple Jacks when you pour the water over it and it's snapping and popping. So you're oh, talking geez. to a couple of old geezers on this podcast. Listen, as long as we can drag ourselves back into the seat and do this podcast every week and get in front of the mic, we'll be good, right? Well, nothing else we can do. They won't let you out of the house. (laughs) Exactly. All right, we're going to move on. Celebration and congratulations are in order for Stokely. He just celebrated a number one single with his current hit, She. That's big for him. It's his first ever number one as a solo artist, you know, after leaving Mint Condition. I, that's pretty good. That's a pretty good honor, Ed. It's a big honor, and most of all, I love when talented people win because I love She. It's a great song. You know, I'm a huge Stokely stand when it comes down to it anyway, both as a mint condition artist and solo. So I was very, very excited to see very good, strong, solid, authentic R&B rising to the top of the charts. Nobody deserves it more than my man Stokely. However, I will say one thing, and this is very sad. Do you know who he had to overcome? So I interviewed him a couple weeks ago, and he was at number four, I think. Do Mm. you know who he had to overcome to reach the number one spot? Playing is not even any telling in 2020. As far as I know, the Lil Nas X is probably number one. Who was number one? Well, this is the the adult R&B radio chart. So this is what they're playing. Oh, I know. So the number one single at that time two weeks ago was Chris Brown featuring Drake, No Guidance. And of the number course two it single, was. The number two single was Wale featuring Jeremiah on Chill. And and that, those two were ahead of Stokely. <laughs> How, now, I will give you a benefit of the doubt for Cousin Chris, even though I'm not a big fan of that song. But why is Wale and Jeremiah on number... What? Why are they there? <laughs> 
Well, I'm not sure if we've talked about this recently, but I think what labels are doing is just putting their money there because it's so easy to land a top hit on this chart. There's not much competition right now in this urban AC. I don't know if you've looked at this chart lately, but no one's even pushed. No, no adult R&B artists are really pushing their single to this chart. So it's kind of a, just a mess right now. And I guess it's an easy I mean, way to say you got a number one single yes. if you just dominate yes. that chart. You know what it reminds me of, though? I don't know if you were a big proponent of Midnight Love back in the mid-2000s. Mm. But the yeah. time, I, the era I knew that Midnight Love was going down the tubes it was when they were playing 50 Cent's 21 Questions every night. I'm like, this isn't an R&B song. Why is this on freaking Midnight Love? This is what it looks like to me. Jeremiah and Wale are the 21 questions of that chart. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at this chart right now. Obviously, Charlie Wilson is going to be number one soon with Forever Valentine. Like, when Charlie Wilson puts a single out, it's almost guaranteed to go number one on this chart. I'm kind of shocked it hasn't already, to be honest. It's He's at number three. It's only been, it's been 13 weeks, so probably within the next week or two, he'll be there. Yeah. Um, you got Usher and LMA. That will probably make it. That's been on for 18 weeks. I'm not sure, actually, if that's going to make it based on current spins. It's kind of lagging behind, so it'll be curious to see. I mean, but this this is like a weird... You got Summer Walker on this chart. You got Khalid, Mahalia, Skip Marley and her. You got Phony People and Megan Thee Stallion. Like, I don't even know what's going on with, the, with this these stations now. They just need money, so they'll take it from who they can get it from. Whatever works, and they can program it, they'll throw it up there. That's how the game goes. <laughs> All right, moving on. You guys discussed Kelly Price's latest single last episode, right? Now you know, player, that I'm going to shout out my girl, my auntie Kelly Price. Love her new song. I, and I said, and you weren't here, I was like, I love it. I bet Tom doesn't love it. And you know why Tom doesn't like it? Too churchy. Too churchy. <laughs> it's a good song, Ed. But listen, I really wanted to bring up my interview with her from this week. Yes, a, I missed pretty it. Epic. How'd it go? It was epic because she took us back to so much history. But the thing that stood out the most to me thinking back was, you know, she talked about her history of how she got signed. And it turned mm -hmm. into a bidding war. You know, she had linked up with Diddy and, and was doing features and stuff. And then there was a bidding war for her services. And Bad Boy didn't even come out on top, even after all the songs she did with, with you know, Mace and, and Biggie. And the top bidder for her services, I don't remember what label she said, said they would not put out her album if she signed with them, unless she dropped over 100 pounds. Yep. Straight I have up. heard this story before, and it's yeah. it's it's very disturbing. And, uh, again, I was such a huge fan back in 98, and I wanted her to win so bad. And I remember hearing her, and I'm not sure if she brought this up when she spoke to you, that it seemed like a, a, a given that she would go to Bad Boy because she was doing so much work with them. But I think that she said something like with Faith being on there, she did. She felt like she might be number two because they already had this established female voice and she wanted to try to do something different. So I respected that. But whoever that number one bidder was, and I can't remember who it was, did say that she had to drop the weight. And as I've talked about before, she wasn't even pictured on her debut single album cover. It was the, yeah. the, well, the logo we know now with the K and the glasses kind of leaning to the side but it's kind of it's sad that even back then 
We talk about, oh, today everybody's so stuck on image and not quality or talent. Even 98, there were shades of that. Right. It was amazing, though, man. Kelly Price is the best, honestly. She showed us so much love, you know, and just went into all these stories and amazing talent. One of the top vocalists, you know, I've ever heard. And uh, just glad she's coming with a new project. I can't wait. And as I said last week, um, when you missed it, I believe I and I will take this to my grade player. I believe that she should have been the Aretha Franklin of our generation. We should mm. be talking about her. She should have been the Aretha of the 2000s to me. She had It's it interesting. You know what the difference could have been? All you would have needed was someone in power at one of these labels to say, no, we don't care about your weight. We just want to make you a star. We believe in your talent. I think that could have changed the whole trajectory. Like she has, I mean, what else could you ask for? She's a, one of the best writers, one of the best vocalists. What, what else do you need? Exactly. But again, and I'm not making excuses for it because it's not an excuse at all. You have to look at the times. I think that if there was a plus size vocalist with her talent today, they would actually make that a selling point. In 98, mm. uh, not so much. So that's why they pushed against it. It's garbage. I'm not defending it. But I see why that was so shunned then. And it annoys me because I think it really took away from a career that should have been the levels of superstar. Right. So definitely check out her, her new single, Give Me What I Need. Um, Want to talk about an artist we, we don't talk about much on this podcast, and that's Calvin Richardson. And how yes, big is Calvin boy. Richardson down south? Oh, my gosh. Here we go with that again. I feel like we talk about that all the time. I don't know what it is about Calvin Richardson that he just kind of like, like he always has shows. Just He just pops up all the time. And he has, and I wouldn't say that he has, I wouldn't say at all he has the level of fan base of a Kim. But he has a definite core fan base that rides with him as he goes. He knows his kind of, his stomping grounds, and he just stays in those stomping grounds. I ain't mad at you. No, but I definitely feel like it's a regional thing for some reason. Like, he gets on that tour down south. He doesn't really get shows in in, in this area. No, he doesn't. It's, to me, I have compared it before to, and I'm not saying level of fame, but I have compared it before to, like, the Jada Kisses and the Fabulouses up in your area, where they just, like, mm. dominate up there. But if they come down, I have never been to a Jada Kiss show. Because, like, he never huh. come down here. So it's vice versa. I don't know that Calvin has even done that many shows up where you are. But over here, pff, once a year at the, I mean, not now, but of course, it was not rare at all to see my boy hanging around. And his projects are solid. I loved his album last year. Well, either way, if he does shows up here or not, we still support him. Big time talent makes good music. That's really all that matters. Yes, and I was glad to see in this era of dropping one single and disappearing that he's still releasing material from his project that came out last year. Gold Dust was the name of the album. Yep. Check out soulandstereo.com. You like that title, right? Oh, I like the title. I like the the robe. I got the wig. That's going to be me (laughs) for Halloween. But yes, check out, if you missed the album, go to soulandstereo.com. Just scroll down the review section and you'll see my board's review. Showed them a lot of love for that one. It was a good project. Dope. I want to talk about Alicia Keys next because she just put out another single. And man, 
you know, I checked it out, and it's like kind of classic Alicia sound with her at the piano. But man, I I can't help but say I feel like the the momentum of this album was derailed due to the, the pandemic, unfortunately. And you know, she's trying. You know, she's definitely trying. But I, I'm just I just can't get really excited. I mean, how do you feel about everything that's going on? Balea, let me tell you, this is the part of the podcast where I say, if you have a beef with what I say, tweet E.T. Bowser. Alicia, send your team and E.T. Bowser on Twitter. Leave Tom alone, because I'm saying what I'm saying. I know you just said that her project was derailed because of Rona. Player, that project was derailed before Rona. This had no buzz back when we could go outside and find toilet paper. I'm sorry. The singles weren't Mm -hmm. popping. And this single isn't popping. It's a by-the-numbers, decent-sounding piano deal. It's something we've heard a million times, but it's nothing that differentiates it from the norm. It sounds like an album cut from, I don't know, As I Am in 07 or something. It doesn't sound like anything that's like, oh, Alicia's back. I got to check out her new stuff. It just sounds like, oh, Alicia's here. Hey, y'all. Let me ask you a serious question, though. If she had released her first three albums, you know, songs in A minor, Diary of Alicia mm-hmm. Keys, and As I Am, and then mm-hmm. just went like Erica Badu on us and just turned into a weirdo and disappeared and didn't make any appearances, would her legacy be looked at a lot higher than it is now? I feel like people don't celebrate her as, as a legend, which she probably should be looked at. I think there's some to that because I think when, unfortunately, there when it comes to music, it's a very much what have you done for me lately type vibe. And unfortunately, the later albums, and we will argue all day about Element of Freedom because I like that album a lot. But the later albums after that have not helped her legacy. And that's unfair because none of the stuff that she has put out before should take the greatness that she has given us. I have, I mean, I've given, I think her second album's five stars. We'll argue that another time because I know you disagree. But her <laughs> early projects were incredible. That single, that remix that she shared this week, the Kanye remix, that yeah. was great. It was a great flashback of her peak era. Like it shows how much talent she had, but she just kind of lost her way. And with each project, she has not been able to regain her footing. So if you only remember. Her most recent album, and most people can't. I remember because I reviewed it. But they remember that she's dropped material, but it doesn't measure up to the early stuff. Your brain and your vision gets cluttered because we get more removed from the classics, and we're just our vision is obscured by with this mediocre stuff that's been dropped on us. It's unfair that it hurts her legacy, but it absolutely does. Well, let me say this, Ed, and you're probably going to disagree with me. You ready for this? I'm ready to disagree. I've made this argument, and no one will no one will want to agree with me on this. But I really feel like D'Angelo. Let me just use D'Angelo as an example. No, if he boy. was not super elusive, like if he was more accessible on social media and did interviews and had released, let's just say three more albums, and they were all kind of just okay, he would mm-hmm. not be looked at to the heights he is considered right now. Is that true or false? No, I, I I don't disagree with that. That's true. Again, well, does that take away? It doesn't I, I take. It shouldn't. It shouldn't take away. And and 
you don't understand it because you look at music like I look at music. If you give me a classic project, which both of those artists we've discussed have given us, if you've given us that plot, that classic project, to me, you're stamped. Like, you're good. Mm-hmm. You can give us crap for years, and I will complain about the crap you give us, but I will also celebrate you for what you've done. We don't live in that because, as I've talked about before, I feel like music kind of lives in generations. And every 10 years or so, the generation kind of flips over. And every generation gets removed from the original greatness, starts to be like, "Eh, maybe you weren't so hot after all. Especially if they're seeing not-so-good stuff in their generation. It's kind of why in Mm hip-hop we see a lot of people saying, oh, Nas Nas is overrated because I saw this mixtape and it wasn't too great. And I'm like, dude, you didn't look at the classic stuff and the and the way that he pioneered the sound before them because it wasn't in your generation. Most people only look in their periphery. Again, most of the people on this podcast listening to this podcast, true music fans, their view isn't so myopic. They can kind of look beyond that. But most people don't. They just look at what have you given me recently? Oh, it was whack. You must be whack. Yeah. Simple but terrible. Great. Great points. But let me ask you, Alicia Keys' last album, Here. Do you mm-hmm. remember the names of the two singles she released? Was that the one with Blended Family on it? Yes, that was the one where she was going through that phase of no makeup. Remember that? The whole natural yep, look? And with the big hair. Yeah, I remember the album cover. I, re- I remember Blended Family, but I don't remember the other single. It was In Common. The first single. Oh yeah, I don't think it one. did well. That was no, it was okay. And Blended Family was okay. That album was just yeah. okay. Everything yeah. was okay on that album. Yeah, I mean, I just have to thinking back now. Looking back, was that whole no makeup natural thing a whole gimmick that the label contrived for her? I don't know if it was a gimmick that the label contrived for, but it was definitely a movement that was rolling around on social media at the time. So she was trying mm. to kind of way into that natural vibe. Listen, I am married to a woman who's had natural hair for 20 years or so, as long as I've known her almost. So I understand it, but I do worry about when folks use it as a gimmick. And I think that's kind of the what she was going for with that. And it didn't it just didn't sit well in my soul as my grandma would say. Well, I I'm just saying that because it seems like she abandoned that whole look soon after the album came out. And before the album came out, she didn't go with that style. So it was like, it seemed clear that she was just doing it to tie into some type of, you know, extra publicity. It was that it was the movement of the time. And I know, again, I know that there will be people who are going to tear me up on E.T. Bowles on Twitter, going to tear me up because I'm at least a fan. And as we have discussed before, if I'm a fan, I'm going to support you. If you do something great, I'm going to talk about you. If you do something not so great. I'm not Mm. saying that going natural is bad. I'm not saying that not wearing makeup is bad because I live in a house with a woman who does all of this. She would come through this door and like drop kick me in the back of the head if she just if I disagree with that. So I'm not saying (laughs) that. But I am saying that that was something that she was doing in marketing with that album. And it just didn't work. Just I mean, facts is facts. Yep. All right. Moving on. Can we talk about escape for a moment? Of course. You're talking about some good folks today. I like this. Nobody I'm mad at. <laughs> so, we always had these debates about the top male R&B groups of the 90s, but 
rarely do we really get into the debate about the female groups. And I'm only, I'm bringing this up because, you know, we did an interview recently with Tamika Scott from the group. And it got me thinking, like, where did escape, where does escape rank compared to the other 90s R&B groups? You know, the SWVs, the Envogues, TLCs, etc. Where do you have them in, in, in the rankings? So funny you bring this up. So over on Facebook, Soul and, the Soul and Serial Cypher. Go check us out if you're on Facebook because we just talk about music all day long and have a good time. Someone had one of those memes that was like, I don't know, four or five different R&B groups of the 90s. And you were supposed to pick the one who was the most underrated. And I can't remember who was in the group, but everybody picked Mint Condition. I picked Escape. I was the only one that picked Escape. And I'm going to tell you why. Because Escape had three albums. Those three albums are all of solid quality. Like, all of them are good. All of them. But they're all completely different. Humming Coming At You, they got the, you know, the big overalls and, like, the Tims and they going hard. The second album, they look like they're going on job interviews with a little business suits. <laughs> Third album, they got all sexy on us. Every album was a progression of their sound, but it was still high quality. And every one of them, I believe, went platinum. They are probably the mm. only group in my eyes that didn't quote-unquote fall off. Every group, we see highs and lows. Like, they just stayed on a level and then imploded. To me, I feel like they don't get the love that this deserved because number one, for a fan of R&B in the 2000s, especially the 2010s, you can't imagine the level of competitiveness that was going on in the 90s. We had classics, little real classics, not Twitter classics, because y'all make everything a classic, real classics that were coming out every other week. And when you're in there with like the TLCs and the Invogues and SWVs, it's easy to get lost in the shuffle because you're just mixed along these so these legendary artists and songs and they kind of got they never like reached those levels because they never hit that that um I guess when it comes to that mainstream peak that TLC did and Destiny Child later did. They never quite hit that mainstream vibe that they did. But for R&B itself, no. I think they're incredible and they just kind of missed out on that next rung of greatness i rank them mm. pretty high but i understand why most people were kind of like oh they were all right but in hindsight if you go back and look at what they contributed they were so consistent and so good but let me ask you this and who would you have at number one of the 90s r&b female groups hmm i know i have ranked them before i know i did a top 10 90s r&b female groups just i'm somebody's gonna go back and look and was like your list said i play i wrote that list five years ago i'm just going off memory i'm old i would say i would have to put tlc as number one just when it comes to quality and notoriety they have an album that if it ain't five stars is mighty close they have some of the most iconic songs of the era the most diverse songs of the era and songs that really have gone on to shape the era. Plus, as we were talking about earlier with Left Eye, just like look at the level of of love that that group has gotten. They're just so beloved. My wife talks all the time about how she was just, she wanted to be a member of TLC because they were so cool and they spoke directly to her in a time where mm. groups weren't really speaking to, toward women. We get that all the time now. People aren't really talking about issues that really concern women because there were songs for women 
written by men. But this year, women are like really using their voices to talk about their issues. I would have them at number one, probably. Fair enough. I'm not going to argue with you. You know, cause that's, a, that's another debate for another time. But to me, it would either be them or SWV, I guess. I know. I would. I honestly prefer SWV, just like personally. Yeah. I definitely prefer them, but I'd have to give the top spot to TLC when I'm being my unbiased reviewer, Ed. Fair enough. Um, I want to bring up head to head with Ed. I'm loving this topic, this weekly, um, you know, feature you're doing on SoulAndStereo.com. The latest one was about Keisha Cole, and uh, yes. I really like that one because it got because she has kind of a what I'd call a complicated legacy and kind of the, the, you know, the feature talks about our legacy. So man, tell us about, you know, that article and how that debate went down. Yeah. Shout out to my girl, Cassandra Jordan. She's one of the stars of the cypher over on soul and stereo. She's like one of the biggest contributors and always has opinion on everything. And I love, I love when you're passionate about your music and she really wanted to do um, Keisha. So I'm like, Hey, I'm down with Keisha. I agree, and for most of the piece, go check it out on Soul and Stereo. You can see that we agreed on a lot of things. I, I love that like when it came down to best feature, we picked the same one. It was the best album cut, we almost picked the same one. I was like, nah, let me do something else. We're agreeing on too much stuff. But I think that she is really underrated when it comes to her actual albums. Her debut was great. Her sophomore album was even better. Her Woman to Woman album, which was maybe 2012 or so, I thought that album just was really underrated and flew under the radar. She's had some hits and misses, no question, but I think her legacy has really been hit for two reasons. Number one, yes, the social media stuff and the Beyonce <laughs> stuff, and I don't even want to get into that because y'all are ridiculous. But I also think, unfair that it may be, I think that her reality show run also kind of was a knock against her. And because I think that she was ahead of the curve of that. We talk all the time about how the Tamars and the Cardi B's really rose to fame through that. But Keisha was almost 10 years prior to that. And at the time, I think that the antics of the show made it almost seem unfair to her because it was not, of course, that she didn't mean for this to happen. It made it seem a little gimmicky and a little bit like a sideshow. Whereas today we would celebrate it and be like, yes, girl, yes. You tell them, drag them. Back mm. then it was like, oh, what you doing, Keisha? Where the music at? Yeah. I think that hurt her a little bit. And then when the project came out after it, the next album was kind of so-so. She really lost her footing. And she had some personal stuff going on, too. But for a while there, we really, we as in a lot of R&B kind of observers, we're thinking that like this is going to be this generation's Mary J. As far as not necessarily quality, I'm not saying that she would have the number of hits, but being that strong, powerful, female, passionate voice who would give you kind of be the the sound of female heartbreak. Because that's what Mary J. kind of cut her teeth on. Seemed like Keisha was heading in that direction, and things got a little rough for her. It's interesting you you mentioned the reality stuff, and it got me thinking like. The same things that hurt her benefited K. Michelle just a few years later. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You know, Again, <laughs> it's like we just talked about earlier when they talked about generations and how these things just kind of change over. You have a whole different mindset and a whole different fan base looking at things a different way. There are things that 
that happened today that would never happen in the 90s. You'd be blacklisted forever. But today it's like, okay, that's just how it is. And vice mm. versa. When it came to that type of fame, back then people would be like, oh, you're doing too much. We laughing at you, not with you. But mm-hmm. in 2020, it's like, oh, yes, read them, child, read them. So that's what they want out of their artists. Funny, if if Alicia, Alicia, if Keisha had come on maybe six or seven years later, she might be the star of R&B right now. <laughs> well... Here's my thing, and I think, for first off, she still has us blocked on Twitter for some odd reason, which we have no idea. We're one of her biggest supporters, and I can't. I explain. don't know either. <laughs> I don't know. But I'm a big baseball fan, right? And in the Baseball Hall yeah. of Fame, part of what gets people voted in, they have to be considered a good person. I don't think Keisha Cole. I think she's done it to herself with her attitude issues and hasn't really been shy about expressing her personality and kind of negativity definitely makes me look at her in a different way than say like a faith evans who to me you know or a kelly price for example even though kelly did come across you know a little bad on the r&b divas i was willing to forgive her for that because i don't know if it was all you know you don't always get the whole story there could be different cuts and edits whatever but that's my take on keisha cole like just you know i always felt like she had an attitude like she wasn't friendly and it just I, I kind of lost interest after a while in her music. After after the I, second album, I wasn't into it. And again, that was the influence of the reality show. In 2020, 2019, that type of vibe will get you more love. It's like, okay, we yeah. want somebody who is abrasive like that. Matt Daniels yeah. is more of a turnoff. And to me, I, I didn't watch this. Well, I watched the first season of whatever the first show was, the way it is. But... To me, I always just kind of looked at it as the music, and as long as the music was straight, we're good. But a lot of people have personal connections, and if they don't like the artist personally, they ain't vibing with your music. That's why in 2020, you can put out the garbages of albums, but if we like you as a person, we will give you all the passes in the world, Summer Summer Walker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but definitely an interesting article. Check it out on soulandstereo.com, and Loving these features, Ed. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see who you guys got coming next. Man, I got a whole roster of folks. It's ridiculous. But thanks for thanks to the quarantine, everybody's been churning out their stuff on time. We've got new stuff coming, so keep your eyes open. We're going to have at least one a week. Sometimes I put two because there's just so much. But, yep, more to come in both R&B and hip-hop. So, usually Kyle does some play a please I don't like doing play a please, so we're gonna skip that till he gets back. He, he, <laughs> oh he's a lot God. messier than me anyway. So he is. We him. know this. Someone did, did you see that comment someone left? They said Kyle's the silly one, you're the sassy one, and I'm the serious one. I mean, I saw I that. Guess. I actually, <laughs> I love it. I loved it because it was like we're the male version of TLC. It's like serious, <laughs> sassy, silly. Wow. I guess we'll take that. I don't know. Somebody make that. Somebody mock that up as an album cover, like a a mock TLC (laughs) album cover with our three heads on it with a red background. Make that work, somebody. (laughs) Y'all quarantine. Y'all ain't doing nothing. Do it. But instead of the play of please, I I wanted to get into a couple of quick discussions. We've been having some discussions on our 
social media, and I just wanted to loop you in and get your opinion on some of these because I find them kind yes. of interesting. And man, some people. First off, I gotta say when I when I post these questions out there, and I see some of these answers, I'm like, did these people even really listen to R&B music with these answers? <laughs> oh my god. Player, sometimes I want to troll the answers, but I try to behave because I like, let me be the adult in the room. Some of these answers, yeah. I'm like, good Lord. Well, let's start with this one. The king and queen of New Jack Swing. Who would you have for each of those? I don't think it's a very complicated question, but who do you, who, who comes to mind for you? Well, the the interesting thing that I saw in the discussions about that were the discussions about the queen of New Jack Swing. And yeah. that is actually a more kind of debatable topic than the king to me. I mean, you can go either way. But the reason why I had to, because I almost weighed in, I was like, let me think on who I want to be that. It's hard to pick because during that era, there weren't really a, there wasn't a female artist that was just like the head of that sound. As odd as it sounds, I might have to pick Janet. And I'll tell you why. And that's a controversial pick. I will pick Janet because even though she, her mm. control album, like kind of predated New Jack Swing, to me, it was the album that set the tone for New Jack Swing. It was the one that. Everybody was like, okay, this is a completely new sound. And it became almost the godmother of the New Jack Swing era. So to me, I would kind of get a crown to her. Because she was just the one that kind of put it out there. For kings? Now, it would be very easy to go with my king. King <laughs> Keith. Your king. My king. I could very easily do that. But... It's weird, like it's because there were so many groups that define that sound. Hmm. I almost the when I think about male New Jack Swing artists, I think about that beat and the beat that I hear and the face that first pops up is the dude with that sideways slanted Gumby haircut, Bobby Brown. <laughs> really, that's my two. Who you got? I was well. A lot of people mention Karen White over Janet, uh, which I found interesting. No, I love Karen. Don't get me wrong. Karen is off the chains. Extremely underrated. I don't know if I'd put her as the queen, though. I would have to go with for a group. I mean, when I think of New Jack Swing, the first artist that comes to mind is Guy. Yep. For me. I mean, I, that just they, they just embody that sound and, and mastered it for two albums, I feel like. So... Janet kind of, yeah. you know, the thing about Janet is like an artist like a Janet Jackson. She kind of was something else before that era, came into that era, dominated, and then turned into something else after. You know, Guy for me lived in that era. I know they had another album, you know, a decade after, but like that was their era. You know, that's how I look at Guy. Oh, and I won't argue at all. Um, when it comes to, I definitely thought of them as like they, but when we're talking about kings, my mind was thinking of like one person. Yeah, so they yeah. all three of them can like pass the crown around to each other, but guy is not a bad pick at all because they do again. When you hear that New Jack Swing beat, there are just certain artists that pop to your mind: Bobby Brown, right. Guy, BBD. Like that's that's just how it works. Yeah. Now a bunch of people said Mary J. Would you consider her 
a new Jack Swing artist? I mean, no, no, Mary yeah, Jane. I, I now I don't either. Now, there her first album has hints of new Jack Swing, but really, Mary and Jodeci were the two that pioneered the hip hop soul era. So they were the ones who pushed the new sound ahead. I don't know. Right. I wouldn't do Mary J at all. No. All right. So, well, that that was a good discussion. Let's try this again with Neo Soul now for King and Queen. Now, hmm. to, let me let me preface this by saying I feel like it, it's not very debatable. I feel like there's a few choices that it has to be. But I'll I'll go first. Mine would definitely okay. be Erica Badu, only because she came at the start of it and kind of defined that sound. Along with, and for me, it's a toss-up between D'Angelo or Maxwell, but I'm definitely going with D'Angelo and Erica Badu. Well, I mean, like you said, this one's kind of cut and dry. I would definitely say those two artists. You can make a case for Maxwell, but again, when you think about New Jacks, I'm New Jack. When you think about Neo Soul, you think of a sound, and you just like the melodies pop in your head. Who are the artists that come to mind first? To me, I see Badu and that head rap. I see D'Angelo in that big old leather coat looking hot on that Brown Sugar album. Like, those are the two things that I see. That one's pretty cut and dry for me. You think it's cut and dry until you read the responses we got. So, Oh, good Lord. No, Who are they saying? Dwelle? Um, no like, to my boy. <laughs> well, we got Jill Scott and Music Soul Child, which to me is not bad choices. The problem is they were influenced by Badu and, and D'Angelo, so you can't really go with them in my opinion. Exactly. Like, they aren't bad, per se, because they are two stalwarts of that era. But they weren't the pioneers of that era, either. When you talk about kings and queens, to me, you got to talk about either the people who pioneered it or the person who just is the kind of like the centerpiece, who is the face of it. And those two were great components of it. Wouldn't call them the faces, though. Now, here's an interesting comment someone left. I'm not going to name the person. Music Soul Child and Indian India RE period. They are the beginning of the era itself. Talk no, about they was, that was a misguided comment. <laughs> player, that was the beginning of their era. Again, when it comes to music, people look at music very personally. So those are clearly the first two neo soul artists that they latched on to. So to them, right. they define neo soul to them. But no player, we were ninety five. We were five or six years before that. Before they showed up. You late. Now, someone mentioned a few people, more than a few, mentioned Lauren Hill. And now, I never considered her a neo soul artist. Um, I can see, and it's because they're thinking about miseducation. Miseducation definitely has elements of neo soul, but I don't necessarily say Lauren because Lauren was not neo soul before that at all. And after that, you know, she kind of floated away in the wind or whatever. I just don't feel like she was a stable enough presence, to be honest. Like, only did um, D'Angelo and Badu kind of solidify it. They were around for pretty much the whole era. Lauren did her thing. That album is incredible. I will defend it till my dying breath. And it is a neo-soul neo album in spirit. But I don't know if I could give her the crown for that. Yeah. Definitely one of the best albums of the era. But I don't know if that makes you queen. I'm going to throw one more out at you. 
someone that got an honorable mention was Michelle Nidicello. Were you ever a fan? Was that even someone that came to your mind? Oh, I mean, no, she didn't come to my mind at all. And she's actually kind of underrated when it comes to her contributions to that. But she is yeah. so underrated. I feel like that is really not fair to call her kind of a queen of it. Like she can call, yeah. you might call her a pioneer of it. I wouldn't call her a queen. And one more of these discussions before, you know, we're almost out of time. But name a 90s artist. Coming. All right, cool, cool. Name a 90s artist who doesn't get the attention they deserve. That was one I wanted to throw out there to see what names people would come up with. The really interesting thing to me about this category and how people perceived this discussion, people were naming pretty big artists like Joe, like a music soul child who would even come out in the 90s, like artists like of that caliber. I was thinking like, you know, sleeper artists who barely even get mentioned. Like we said, Calvin Richardson, you know, as a name right. we talk about. So... The, I see Jagged Edge on here. I mean, I see a few times. I see SWV, Jodeci. Are you kidding me? Like, how are these well, not getting attention? <laughs> well, I'm trying to understand what they're saying. Are they saying don't get love in 2020? Maybe that's what they're saying. But and first of all, music came out in 2000. Why is he a 90s artist? But and People don't. <laughs> but as to me... And this, and the reason why the artist I'm about to say is going to be front of mind, I wouldn't say these are these guys are like underrated per se. But again, we were having a conversation in the Soul and Serial Cipher recently about them, and I feel like just from the comments that people are getting, they underrate them. First thing, the person that came to mind is Silk. Silk mm. dot, and I'll tell you why. Because a lot of times there is this conception that they had freak me. And meeting in my bedroom, and that's it. If you look at them, they were present throughout the entire 90s. Now, we just talked before about how the 90s were just so competitive that you think of Jodeci and Boys and Men, and then like nobody, and then 112, and Drew Hill and them, and then that's it. Jodeci, I'm not Jodeci, um, Silk was around pretty much from like 92 through 99. They had gold and platinum records all through those things. They have very recognizable songs. But for whatever reason, people just kind of forget how impactful they were. And Lil G, incredible vocalist. John John, incredible vocalist. They got an incredible roster of just powerhouse singers. Great songs. Great albums. That Tonight album, one of the most underrated of the 90s. I don't think they get enough love that they deserve. If you're talking about an artist that kind of survived the 90s, was successful through the 90s, but not recognized for their contributions in the 90s. I'd have to go with them. There are many, many you can go with, but they were front of mind. That's that's good. I mean, this discussion is interesting because half the people looked like they were trying to name their favorite artist. The other no, half course. looked like they were trying to come up with the most obscure artist they could come up with. Like, I saw a few people mention Jesse Powell. Who is not a bad artist, but I mean, I haven't thought about Jesse Powell. I don't think he's on social media. <laughs> I mean, um, I have not heard from Jesse in a minute. It's, the only time I hear from him is when people read my whatever happened to that thing still gets a bunch of hits. So I guess folks are on the lookout for him. Someone said Rel. Now, Rel, did he even have a, an official album come out? I don't know if Rail's album ever came out. I'm so somebody will correct us if we're wrong. But I don't know if he ever had an album. And 
Was he? Yeah, he was nineties. He was late nineties. I was. I yeah, thought it was two yeah. thousands. He was nineties. Someone say, someone mentioned your boy Chucky Booker. I know you're excited about that. Chucky was quite underrated. He, I, I co-signed that. But see, that's a valid answer to me to this question. You know, like someone who was really dope and maybe just didn't get the shine and attention it deserved for putting out a really good project. You know, like that right. to me is what we're looking for. Now so. I would do that more than freaking Jagged Edge. Like, like everybody knows Jagged <laughs> Edge, and they get celebrated even today. No offense, I love yeah. them, but they get celebrated. There's a couple valid ones I wanted to point out, though. Well, for me, the name that came to mind was Kenny Lattimore, because yes, you know, that's a had good a one. really good run. And we rarely and someone called us out once. Remember that for not bringing him up on this podcast enough. <laughs> I remember that. I'm like. Player, we show Kenny love. We like Kenny. We'll never forget that moment, but he's definitely a good one. And the, uh, the female, someone mentioned Nicole Ray. I think that's a good one, too. Yeah, Nicole. Well, the thing that I struggle with with Nicole, and again, I've been on record many times to say that her debut is one of my favorite albums of all time. I don't know why. Well, I actually do know why. It's very connected to some really good times of my life. And I remember riding around with that album blasting it. So that's why I love that. Nostalgia is a wonderful thing. But Nicole really only had that one album in the 90s, and then she did some stuff in the 2000s that was a little underrated. So I would probably put her more underrated in the 2000s, but that's me being nitpicky. But I love me some Nicole. Fair. I'll never tell you anything bad against her. She was in a comeback strong. with. Remember her single, I'm Looking? I love that song. I love that song, and I was so happy when, because remember, this. I'm going to show my age, y'all, because y'all are too <laughs> spoiled. Back in the day, artists would come out with songs, and then like the album would get shelved, and you would never get the single, and the singles were hard to find. Nowadays, somebody coming out, you know, it's on Spotify immediately, you'll find it on YouTube. Music is so accessible. Back then... If there was an obscure remix or maybe a song you saw on BET one time and then never again, it was like a treasure you could never find. But once the streaming era hit, oh, best believe I got my hands on some I'm Looking. Dope song. All right, Ed. We're just about out of time. We we just about survived this episode without Kyle. I'd like to say for the record, I'm not doing this hosting thing again for another two years it's pretty stressful man. oh my god player you did fine you did fine kyle will be missed he'll be back next week to get on my nerves no question but you held it down appreciate it man before we get out of here tell us about what's going on in soul and stereo yep as i always do we talked a little bit earlier about the keisha cole head-to-head to keep an eye out for some more coming up in the next couple weeks as you know, our album reviews, I haven't done a good album review in a while because nobody's dropping stuff. So in the meantime, we've got a new edition of Love Letters coming out. Got a poor person that was talking about her cousin who's in a loveless marriage, but he wants to stay because unfortunately he's like, my marriage sucks, but if I get into another relationship, that's going to suck too. What should I do? So I offer a little bit of encouragement there. And... This is a nice treat for my people on Facebook. Your boy and Soul and Stereo were featured on a feature, a short 12-minute documentary on Southern Hip Hop. And that was released as of today on Facebook. So if you follow me on Facebook or if you follow the Soul and Stereo page on Facebook, 
Go check that out. See your boy talking about the rise of Southern hip-hop over the past 20 years. Doing what I do on the podcast. Spitting knowledge, as always. Southern hip-hop, huh? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I'll save the joke for for the next episode when Kyle's back. I was going to say I'm waiting for the Phillies Most Wanted reference. (laughs) I'll let it go for now. But anyway, you better. I uh, heard y'all are over there drinking bleach in New York because the president no. told you so. So y'all need that to call. You have no City. right to talk. <laughs> what? I, the, the, the news media told me it was New York City. Well, no, they just said New York. They didn't say NYC. Exactly. Everyone outside of New York thinks that New York and New York City are the same thing. But actually, outside once you get outside of New York City, there's a lot of open land out there and a lot of hicks and rednecks and I believe they'd follow that advice from the president, so. Well, don't let me find out you drinking bleach smoothies over there to try to ward off the coronavirus. Got my (laughs) eye on you New Yorkers. Oh, man. But anyway, as far as you know, I got Soul. We got the Instagram Live interview series going on. We got another bunch coming coming up this week. So tune in at You Know I Got Soul on Instagram. Going to keep that going, get this history from all these artists, and uh, we're having fun with that, so. Yes, and I have to show, I want to take a minute to just show some love to you and Kyle for keeping this series going because y'all have been on point over the past two or three weeks. It's like nonstop. You're giving a platform to so many artists. And I don't care what the haters say, when it comes down to it, you know I Got Soul is doing a great job of giving a platform to R&B and artists of color. So keep doing what you're doing. I don't care what other people are talking about. You're doing the Lord's work out here, player. <laughs> I appreciate that, Ed. So, all right, that does it for this episode. We'll be back next week with Kyle. We'll have the full team, hopefully. And uh, that's it. We're out. We out. Don't drink bleach. <laughs> uh-huh.